Man, it's so good. Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, we are in, I think it's like part 13, something like that. We've been in, in a series called uh, Let's Take Our Job Back for a While, and we have campus pastor, Pastor Ralphson, actually in Claire's home today, and Pastor Tim's in Okotoks today, and we have uh, Pastor Daniel, who's a, a friend of ours from Florida, is, is preaching in Tabor today. And so, man, we're, we've got lots going on in our, our campuses and stuff, but we're, I, I want to continue what we've left off the last, last week or two in the book of Nehemiah. And the reason why we're studying the book of Nehemiah is because Nehemiah is an entire book in the Old Testament that is basically a template on how to rebuild cities. And what we've discovered in this series is that, that we are called to be God's ambassadors. Paul said this in in 1 Corinthians, that we are ambassadors of Christ. And an ambassador is somebody we know what they are physically, and, and we have ambassadors still on the planet that are sent by to represent the government that sent them into a nation, and they have the same authority. They speak on behalf of the nation that sent them in that nation. And God called us to be ambassadors, and Jesus called us to be ambassadors. When he went to heaven, he says, I'm leaving you here and I'm giving you all authority here, and that we have a job to do while we're here. That, that one of the things that we've been really hitting hard in this series and kind of why we spent 13 weeks is, is I've, I've grown up in the church, and I think, honestly, that I've been doing Christianity not quite as right as was intended to do, and I think COVID kind of accelerated that or accentuated that a, a, a lot in my own life. And I started asking a lot of questions. And, and Christianity today, uh, Christianity today is, is really, and the Western Christianity is, we've reduced Christianity to a personal faith. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. And we've, we've reduced Christianity to, to a, a weekly social gathering on a certain day. And what happened throughout COVID is when that weekly social gathering went away, all of a sudden we started going, well, what are we going to do? They're shutting down the church. And I'm thinking the church isn't, you can't shut down the church. Jesus promised the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and no government on the planet, if they can restrict us from meeting on a Sunday, is shutting down the church. And if we've reduced you know, the church to just a weekly social gathering, we're way too weak. And we fully don't understand. And I don't fully understand what Christianity is. And so throughout the last couple of years, I've been, I went back and studied specifically the first three centuries a church and dove deep into that. And then I actually studied all of church history as much as I possibly could. And at a lot of, you know, I went to Bible college. I was taught all that stuff. And I was taught all the theologies and the doctrines and what the early Christians believed. But I did, this time I studied, I want to know what they did. And it was fascinating to me that, that the Romans, who persecuted the Christians extensively, right from you know, Jesus on, um, they, they were unaware that, all, that we can tell from all the documents that we have, they were unaware that the Christians met weekly for 70 years. And I'm thinking, if that's what the major focus of Christianity is, the fact that the Romans who were trying to round them up and persecute them were unaware that they met weekly, I'm thinking that the emphasis we put on the weekly gathering <laughs> might be a little much, and I'm not saying we stop gathering, because they did meet weekly, but their, but their purpose of meeting weekly, that wasn't, that wasn't it. That wasn't all of it. 
And that what we've studied throughout this series, and if you are curious about all this stuff, we do a lot of church history, a lot of deep dive into understanding what it means to be a Christian. I'd encourage you to go back and see that. But we're in, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We left off last time um, in, in Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll pick it up from there. And we learned last time the five temptations of, of a builder. And what we learned is that Nehemiah's temptations are the same temptations that I think all of us face all the time, that this is not un, unusual, that this is how the devil will come at us. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the devil leaves alone those who are no threat. But those who are a threat, there's a real thing called spiritual warfare. <laughs> it's very real. And the devil's tactics haven't changed. It's the same tactics he used with Adam and Eve. It's the same tactics he used with Jesus in, in the wilderness. It's the same tactics that we saw in Nehemiah. And if you want to know what those tactics are and the temptations that we all go through, that we do things for, for Jesus, that there's going to be some, some attacks against us. And, how, and not just, it's not just the devil sometimes. A lot of these, these temptations are personal things that we all deal with, temptations that we all deal with, things that we just emotionally, discouragement isn't the devil all the time. Sometimes that's just me. Anybody else? Sometimes you just wake up and you can cast the devil all you want or sometimes you just need to drink a cup of coffee and you feel better. Like, I mean, just kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, there's sometimes where you can, you just, discouragement isn't outside and force. It just sometimes just happens. That was one of the temptations. But we're going to pick up in, in verse 15 and in chapter, Nehemiah chapter 6, and it says this, that so the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul. In, in the month of Elul is a Hebrew, part of the Hebrew calendar. It's kind of situated in that time in the Hebrew calendar. It's about the end of August, beginning of September. That's, that's kind of where it was before they reset the calendars. Uh, just so you kind of get a reference of where that is. And the wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days. It wasn't like half done. This was completed, gates on, like we'll see that in a moment. This is complete. 52 days. Just to put that in perspective, Jerusalem at this time, historians, you know, think that the, that the walls were about six miles by six miles by, you know, about six miles squared was the, I mean, six miles just in like of of walls just in one thing, and they completed the whole thing in 52 days. Come on. Like, this was without engineering technology, like all the, all the, the you know, the technology that we have today. It takes, what, nine months to a year to, to get a house built, and these guys are building an entire wall around a city, and not, the cleanup that would have had to go on just to get started on this, because it is a, is a mess. And just to put this into, again, into another perspective, is here's something that I find very interesting, is is that this wall had sat there in ruins. This city had sat there in ruins for 70 years before Nehemiah had done it. If it was only a 52-day job, you think somebody would have picked it up before 70 years. But they looked at this and said, this is such a big mess. and that There's no way that we could get this done. It's going to take years. And Nehemiah and, and the people that followed him rebuilt the city in 52 days. I mean, I was like, 52 days, that's, that is, 
That's the hand of God. And going, that's encouraging to me because sometimes we can look at the job in front of us and we will stop before we even do it because we think it's too much work. And sometimes you just got to pick up the first rock and place it and just get started and just go to work and just get it done. And we can look at our city and all the, the wacky, weird, crazy stuff that goes on in our city this week. Come on. Like we can look at this and going, it's too far gone. There's no way. Or, or we can get our, take our job back and, and get to work. Amen. Verse 16, it says, when all of our enemies heard of it, they were so thrilled. No, no, that's, that's not what happened. When all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They were discouraged. They lost their confidence because, because, for they had recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Sometimes the enemy has more faith than you do. Sometimes the enemy has more faith than I do. Come on. What do I mean by that? That sometimes the enemies and those on the outside are discouraged and lose their confidence because they see the hand of God on you to such a degree because they're looking and they're watching. They see the hand of God on you and they're discouraged and they're, they're, they've lost their confidence. And sometimes in the middle of all that, I wonder if the people that had rebuilt this wall saw the hand of God on them like the enemy did. Because sometimes in the middle of it, we, we fail to see the hand of God on us, don't we? And sometimes we lose our confidence and we feel the discouragement and we feel all this kind of stuff because we've lost sight of the fact that God's hand's on us. And we think, come on, come on, I'm, I'm just going to poke at some things. I, I've been doing that this series. just, just so that. But I'm going to poke at some things because sometimes we as Christians, we get discouraged because we think that if the hand of God is on us, that there's no work attached to it. That God's just going to make a way and there's going to be no work. Trust me, the people who rebuilt this wall worked. And there was hard work. And they, because there was hard work, they might not have recognized that God, come on, 52 days. We can look at this and go, you rebuilt the city in 52 days, God's help was here. But when they were working it, and they had sores by their side and they were fighting off enemies while rebuilding walls and, and doing this morning to night. They, they, all the rest of it, they didn't feel God's hand on them and they probably didn't recognize, but the enemy did. And I just want to encourage you to look back at your life, to look at the situation where you're at right now and recognize. You have to recognize that the hand of God is on you. Because the enemy does. It says, then also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters were, came to them. Tobiah, again, we just, not a good guy. He's one of the three that were constantly picking on Nehemiah. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Era, and his son, that guy, Jehonanen, uh, and had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Thanks, Nehemiah, for all that. And anyway, Verse 19, moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. This guy just would not give up. Chapter 7. Now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Okay, so the first thing Nehemiah does is when the walls were built, the gates and the doors installed, the first thing he does is he appoints singers and Levites. 
I just want I just want to pause there for a moment and, and recognize. Come on, I know some of you might not be me included, might not be the, the most talented singers. That's why I, I get the microphone after we're done singing. There's a reason. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that just because we can't sing doesn't mean that we're not supposed to worship. The first thing Nehemiah put up in place was the singers. The first thing after the wall, he puts the singers and the Levites. Because come on, this is, this is, he understood that worship is worship. That worship is, is how we get our courage and maintain our courage in God. It's not something that we can skip and something that is, is just a part of the service and we just do because we can do it and every other church does it. Worship is worship. It's how you get your courage back. And the first thing that Nehemiah did was put in place singers and Levites. He established, he says, we're going to worship in this place. We built a wall. He, he, before he even put up the gatekeepers and the, and the warriors on the wall, he placed singers in there because he knew I can put up gatekeepers, but they could be frightened. I need courage in them. And the courage, way we get courage is we get our help from, from, from the Lord. And we get our courage in worship. And we start singing songs like he's too good to not believe. And I've seen this happen and I've seen him do this. And you're reminded and you're going, yeah, if he's done it once, he can do it again. This is who our God is. Nothing can stop him. As we sang, right? Sometimes we just need that courage in there. That's why we gather weekly, by the way. That's why the early church gathered weekly. It's because it's warfare and it's a, it's a huddle and it's like we need encouragement. We need the strength again for the week that's coming. That's why we gather. Verse 2, then, it's, then I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah. That wouldn't have been confusing at all. Um, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. This Hananiah, what a, what a report, huh? He's, he's a faithful man who feared God more than many. I put him in charge because he was a faithful man who feared God more than many. Hananiah, by the way, is the same Hananiah that we met in chapter 1 that first brought the report to, to Nehemiah about the state of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, when we first found him, he was a butler to the, to the enemy king. And, and Hanani came from Jerusalem and gave a report of, of the city. That's the same one. In other words, he came, gave the initial report, and then he stuck with Nehemiah and his, Nehemiah's crazy idea to rebuild it. And, and he walked with him, and he been, he's been with him through that journey, through the 52 days of rebuilding. And, and at the end of that, Nehemiah has to go back to the king. I mean, think about this. Nehemiah is, you know, been accused of setting himself up as the governor, uh, setting himself up as the king. He's been large and in charge, really, like this whole project, over 42,000 people that he's overseen, and he's overseen this work, and he's been, he's been the leader, and he's done an incredible job leading, and he's rebuilt a city in 52 days. I mean, he's, he's feeling on top of the world, and what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah puts the guy who brought the initial report in charge because he was faithful and feared God more than many. And Nehemiah goes back to being just a lowly butler, slave to the enemy king. I mean, think about that. He could have established, he's got, he's got an army, he's got a city now, he's got a fortified city. He could have anchored in there and set himself up as king. 
done all this, and I'm sure the temptation was great to do so. But sometimes, listen, Noah lived for how many hundreds of years before the flood? And the flood was 40 days and plus the months that he was in the boat and all the rest of it. And then Nehemiah gets 52 days of glory. And sometimes the impact that we're looking to make, sometimes we're looking for the big, we're looking for the spectacular, we're looking for all of this. And sometimes the hand of God is not about us. It's not about our position. It's not about our titles. It's not about any of that. It's about doing what God has called us to do. And sometimes when God calls you, you got to go back and be a lowly butler to a king, an enemy king. But I, I love, 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 love how Nehemiah selects Hananiah as the guy to leave in charge. And he gives these qualifications. He was faithful and he feared God more than many. Faithful is, we'll talk about that. The fear of God, Solomon said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And listen, there's a big difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. Don't mistake the two. There's a big difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. An example is, Moses feared God, and when God was on the mountain and the mountain shook and there's earthquakes, on the earth, Moses ran up the mountain to God. The Israelites were afraid of God, and when, the, when God shook, they ran from him. Fearing God is a high level of respect. Fearing God is saying that he is the king I am not, that I'm going to follow his lead no matter how confusing, I'm going to follow his lead. I'm going to respect him above all, above my own feelings, above all the other circumstances. I'm going to respect him. I'm going to put, he's, he's in charge. He's on the throne. That's fearing God. Faithfulness is another thing that we don't fully grasp and understand. Faithfulness, Solomon said this in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 is famous for, you know, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understandings. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We, we know that part. The two verses before that is this. Solomon says this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let love, there's that word again. Let love, love, this is not the airy-fairy feelings, fickle feelings, feel today gone tomorrow that's not that that's not love that's that's what the world wants to describe as love that's not love love is according to to paul is patient that's patient anybody have the feeling of patience i feel like i'm gonna be i feel like i want to be patient anybody that's never happened to me i don't know about all of you love is kind does kindness a feeling no it's a choice like I, when 1 Corinthians 13, when, when Paul describes what love is, there's no feelings in there. That's, it's a choice. It's, it's to love when Jesus says love like I have loved. Loving unconditionally, that's, you, don't, you don't love unconditionally based on a feeling. That's a choice. When, when, when Solomon says let love, this is, this is not wimpy, airy. This is, this is masculine power. Love, let love, the choice to love others like Jesus loved and faithfulness never leave you, th those two. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Solomon wrote this hundreds of years before Hen and I lived this out. And, and 
Nehemiah selects Hananiah to be the head of Jerusalem, and he won favor. Hananiah won favor with Nehemiah and all the people, or else Nehemiah wouldn't put him in charge, won favor because he was faithful and feared God more than many. And he won favor with God and with men. And this is a key that lasted hundreds of years and was just for him. This is a key for you and I, too, that we want to win favor with God and with men. Just another holy cow that I'll shoot. <laughs> um. <laughs> is there sometimes we as Christians get weird and we all we care about is, is favor with God? Jesus increased in favor with God and with men. People flocked for days, walked for days, and, and flocked around Jesus by the thousands because they liked him. People ran to John the Baptist because they, he had favor with men. And sometimes we're like, oh, I don't I doesn't care what other people think. And I'm just a Christian and we have to be, you know, peculiar people. We're going to be weird. Like, come on, we don't. Nobody wants to amen that. Okay. <laughs> just saying. Uh, then you win favor with a good name with the sight of God and with men. Look at this. In, I want to talk about faithful for the remainder of our time here. And I want to read Matthew 25. Matthew 25, of course, we've read in this, in this, um, in, in this series already where we've, Jesus is talking about, he's answering the question of his disciples. He's having a conversation with just his disciples. They ask him a question, how are we going to know when you're coming back? That's what they've asked. When's the end of the age? When's the end of the time? And Jesus starts from Matthew 24 and 25 and gives them the answers. And we've learned in this series that in that, one of the things that he talks about and, and prophesies about the day of judgment, we're all going to stand before God. And, and he's not going to ask us, did you go to church enough? Did you pray enough? Did you, were you a good enough Christian? He's going to ask them, when you saw the hungry, did you feed them? When you saw the thirsty, did you give them water to drink? When they were homeless, did you bring them in? Like, like there's six things that Jesus listed in Matthew 25. We've talked about that. But before that, Jesus is, again, he's having a conversation, not with the masses, not with the big crowd. He's having a conversation with just his 12. This is an intimate conversation. And this is Matthew 25. In Matthew 26, he gets arrested. All, all, like, this, is the, this is the last conversations he's having with them toward the end of it. And he's instructing them. He's, and he's telling them, I'm about to leave. I'm going to come back. And this is what you look for when I come back. But I'm about to leave. And I'm leaving you in charge. And this is what he's telling them. So when he's telling them parable, he's not telling it to everybody. He's telling it just to them. And here's the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verse 14. I'll pick it up there. It says, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And here's Jesus. He's, he's telling a story. And who, is he, who do you think? He says, The master is about to go away and, and entrust his slaves with his possessions. Obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, that, hey, he's, the man he's talking about going away is him, and the people he's leaving is us. Oh, right? They got it. They understood. And he says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. And I think too much, we've put way too much attention on the number of talents given, and, and that's not the point Jesus is trying to make. And by the way, five talents doesn't sound like much. It, a talent is, I, I believe, is about a, a year's wage. <laughs> That's some serious dough, right? So that he left. 
So he left five towns to one and two to another and, and one to, based on his own ability. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." See, this is, this is just like Hanani, who had, had been faithful. He was faithful, and Nehemiah entrusted him with Mort. He had, him a, he had a few, and he entrusted him with the oversight of all of Jerusalem. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, hear me clearly, faithfulness isn't just showing up. We interpret today when we say, well, that person's faithful. When we interpret that today is that that just means showing up. Right? If they just, they're just consistent, they show up. To Jesus, faithful means fruitful. Even in the original Greek, the original Greek, you can translate that word faithful to fruitful. That there's some results required in, in order for Jesus to be fruitful. Now listen, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I'm going away and he's coming back and he's saying that the person who multiplied what I left is going to be found faithful. Well done. You did well with what I've given you. In other words, we're not just called to occupy space here, waiting till Jesus comes back and we can escape this big, bad, horrible world. And when, and then, we'll, you know, we'll get to heaven because listen, it's not about us. It's not just about us. Me and Jesus, and I'm just going to make it by. We're just going to make it through. And one day we'll get to heaven in the sweet by and by. And, oh, and you, know, in the, in the, you know, in the clouds, in the far away, in the heaven. And we're just waiting to get there. No, no. While we're here, we're called to be ambassadors. We're called, and he's ex, his expectation is that he handed us something. He expects it. doesn't matter whether it's five, whether it's two, whether it's one. Doesn't, the mount doesn't matter that he leaves us. Whatever he's left of us, he just wants to know that we're going to be fruitful with what he left us with. Verse 22 says, Now the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents, so you have gained two, two more. And his master said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The same thing. doesn't matter whether it was five. doesn't matter whether it was two. The number didn't matter. Got the same response. The one who had been received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent. I was afraid. There's that word again. I was afraid. Not, not, I didn't fear God. Didn't fear the master. I was afraid. We can't be afraid of God. Because you can't, you can't have intimate relationship with somebody you're afraid of. He says, I was afraid and went away and hid the talent in the ground and see what you have is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, <laughs> wicked, lazy slave. You know, I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered seed. Wait. 
again, I need you to see this, again, what we classify as wicked is different than what God classifies as wicked. Remember when we read Isaiah 58, in Isaiah 58 it says, you know, here, I'm going to lay out your sins before you, and you're expecting, okay, they're gonna, here's the sins. You lied, you cheated, you stole, you murdered, you, you, like, you committed adultery, you did all this. Thing. We're expecting that. And what was the sins laid out in Isaiah 58? You went to the temple every day. You prayed all the time. You tried to please me. You fasted. And you're waiting, where's the sin? And he says, you saw the hungry and you didn't feed them. Saw those in need and you didn't help them. And here, Jesus calls, listen, the guy didn't steal the master's coin. He didn't steal anything. He didn't embezzle anything. He didn't do anything that we would classify wicked. And yet Jesus called burying it and bringing that coin back, bringing that talent back, that year's wage back and saying, see, I didn't lose it. Jesus called that wicked and lazy. Ouch. In other words, listen, Christians, when Jesus, church, when Jesus put us here on the planet, he didn't call us just to sit here, occupy space, make our faith just about us, and bury it under a church. He called us to go into all the world and produce fruit. He called, and he told us, he tells us later in Matthew 25, well, what's the fruit? What are you looking for? When you see the hungry, feed them. When you see the thirsty, give them something to drink. When you see the homeless, house them. When you see the sick, bring health. Take care of them. When you see those in prison, visit them. When you see those naked, clothe them. And we're expecting him to say, preach to them. And here's, here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. Is that the early church, I was looking for great revivals and great preachers and great teachers and all the rest of it. You know, the early church, what they did Monday to Saturday, is they did exactly what Jesus said to do. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They brought water. They, they rebuilt cities and restored homes. And, and because of that, they brought so much hope to the people around them that people wanted to be just like them. And then, then they entered into relationship with Jesus. Like, why are you like that? Because we were loved unconditionally. And we're loving you unconditionally because we were. Well, we need to meet the guy who loved you unconditionally. His name is Jesus. You see this? Jesus didn't just put us here on the planet to preach and to, and, and to, and to build big churches. And to do all that. That's not the fruit he's talking about. He's talking about the fruit in our city. Are we going to make a difference in the cities we're in? Are we going to produce results? Come on, businessman. That means produce results. That means, come on, nurses. Doctors, like all of us, no matter the town, we, we produce results. There's four levels of life, and I, I need you to see this. 
four levels of life. Survival, where sometimes you get into areas of life where you just, you're just fighting to survive. Sometimes a marriage is just, we're just fighting to survive. Our finances, we're just fighting to survive. You just Emotionally, I'm just fighting to survive. And that's, that's okay. But listen, as, as the church, we're not called just to survive here. In, in, this, in Jesus, what he's telling his disciples, you understand that Jesus is talking to the people who are going to be persecuted and hated and hunted and imprisoned. And he still put the pressure on them. He still put the expectation on them that they were still supposed to produce results. And even though they were going to be hunted by the Romans like crazy, he says, hey, while you're in prison, that's no excuse. I'm like, but Jesus, we're just trying to survive. Produce fruit. Then you get into stability. And stability is, is okay, everything's just like, <sighs> everything's just stable. We're just, we just, we're just, we're made. It, it, it's not a lot, it's like we get to stability. And then you get to success. And success, listen, is what the world thinks is the ultimate end, just to be successful. Just to be known, just to have money, just to, be, just to be known as a success. If I can get to that, then I will have this. But how many of you know that success is, is all selfish? It's all about you. It's all about, it's about, about you. And Jesus never asked us just to be successful. He doesn't mind you being successful, but he doesn't want you just to stay there. Because Jesus' expectation is to get to significance. Where your success is now about somebody else. And, you're, and, and we're being significant. And the church God is calling us to is not one that's just going to survive a pandemic. That's not just going to survive this, this, this government. They're not just going to survive this, this big, bad, horrible world. And it's not just going to be stable and we're, we're back and this is all good. Or we're going to be successful and we're growing. Yay. He's called us to be significant to make an impact. And if we do that, Jesus says, if you do that, I will call you faithful. And you did little, you did a little here, I will give you much there. I don't know about you. James, the brother of Jesus said this, faith without works is dead. Private faith without public works is dead. Today's takeaway builds on that. We say faithfulness without fruitfulness is meaningless. Faithfulness, just showing up, or just going to show up without fruitfulness is meaningless. So my challenge to you, each one of us to say, okay, what has God given me? And what can I do with it? And where do I, where, what, do we, what do we do? We take our job back, church. We, we, we don't make our faith just about us. And I'm not saying just go out there and start preaching. I'm saying let's go out there and out love, out serve, and out give. Take our job back. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And, and God, forgive us for, for missing this for so many years and making our faith all about us and personal. And Lord, we've buried our talents. I've buried talents, Lord, and I've kept the light under the basket called the church and felt safe in here. But God, I pray that you'd open my eyes, our eyes to see the needs around us, 
Give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to be able to do it. In Jesus' name. And may we be found faithful when you come back. In Jesus' name. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining a church. It's not joining a religion. Simply just a relationship with God. So I would encourage you, close your eyes, bow your head, repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, Amen, amen. So guys, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, first off, congratulations on an amazing, amazing decision. Second off, we'd love to be able to be a part of your journey, love to help you out in any way that we can. Uh, so there's a link that has been posted in the comment section. Click on that link, fill out that form, uh, and we'll be there to help you in any way that we possibly can. Uh, and again, congratulations on this amazing, amazing decision.